Daniel 9 starts off this way in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Okay, so this is Daniel 9. If you recall a few chapters ago in Daniel chapter 6, we read about this same king named Darius. That was the story with the lion's den, this famous story of Daniel being thrown into the, uh, the lion's den because of his vibrant public prayer life. Now, when we read that story, I even posed the question, I wonder what he was praying. And, uh, and like, what was he doing? Well, we actually get a little bit of a glimpse of potentially what he would have been praying, or at least uh, we get, we get uh, this like portrayal of his heart and his, his discipline in praying. Because when we read Daniel 6, we read that three times a day he would pray. And he would face toward Jerusalem and he would pray. Well, this prayer, this aligns quite similarly. Not saying it's the exact one or necessarily the same time. But it helps us to see what Daniel would have been praying. And this comes on the heels of him reading from Jeremiah. And he was aware that the exile time prophesied by Jeremiah was soon to end here, 70 years later. So verse 3 says, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. All right, right before we read his prayer, let's pause here to talk through some of this. Notice when it comes to prayer, it is not just the words we might say, but it's also the posture. Yes, it's the posture of our heart. We talk about that all the time, humility and all but it's literally a physical posture that Daniel embraces. And there's something about the preparation and our physical positioning that can strengthen and enhance our prayers in this way, not in religious duty, not in some sort of like proving yourself to God, not that, not that stuff, not the stuff that I might see in all these different countries when you travel and you might see how they might interact and pray to like their gods that are not really gods or anything. What we're talking about is this intentional mindset there's a sacred component to our physical preparation. It could be the time of day that we pray. It could be where we go. We know Jesus in Matthew 6, if you recall, he says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. For Daniel, this mindset and this moment of prayer included internal and external posturing. He fasted from his meals. He wore clothes that evoked repentance, and he had ashes involved as well. Immediately, we are reminded of the intentionality in our prayer life. We should discipline ourselves to set time aside in order to pray for ourselves and others and whatever other needs. When we talk about prayer, I'm using the word prayer, but what we're looking at is probably more like what the subcategory defined with the word intercession. You could also have the word supplication. And there's other statements in there too when it comes to what kind of prayers these are. But I'm going to just keep using the word pray or prayer. So when do you pray, friends? You can tell me when you wake up. You can tell me when you have a meeting. You can tell me when you go to school or you go to work. When do you pray? Do you have a time that you pray? I've heard several people say, you know, listen, I don't plan out my prayer because it makes it feel less special. And I'd say, well, unless you intercede uh, so unthinkingly 
like the way you just might get breakfast for yourself. It's just such a natural thing for you in, uh, incessantly throughout the day, unless it's really like that sort of component, which mainly I find to be those who uh, just have a certain time, like they're, they're, they have a, they're in a seasonal life in which that can be more natural. Most of us have a little more of a schedule-based life and routine. So when do you pray? And also, what is the nature of your prayers? In other words, are your prayers only spontaneous and haphazard? We know that God listens to our prayers. And so if your takeaway here, like, let it not be this. Don't, don't come away saying, unless I am more regimented, and unless I posture myself in a way physically, then God does not hear. Don't, that is a mishearing of this whole thing. We know God hears us when we talk. You could be in the car. You could, it can be under your breath. It can be with words outward. It could be in your mind. I mean, there's all that component. But we talk about that a lot, particularly in our church family. Uh, we are not a high church in which there's a much more ritual tied to it. And in doing so, they can actually damper some very valuable components of prayer that we see throughout church globally and historically the last 2,000 years that allows us to position ourselves to seek the Lord. So do you cultivate the discipline of prayer? Again, in the rest of the areas of our life, we might discipline ourselves. Some of you are students and you're starting a new sport this fall. There's practice, right? There's thinking about it. There's study on it. You as a parent, maybe you are more involved and you're like coaching them along the way. I mean, you give a lot of time and investment to like that particular sport or that position on a team. But what about when it comes to prayer, something spiritual? You can't just be haphazard about it if you want to be strong and grow in that. And I've never met a strong Christian who's weak in prayer. So let's look at Daniel's prayer here. Verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and your rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in the name of our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All right, I'm going to pause here for a moment. Notice his words. Daniel acknowledges who God rightly is, and then Daniel owns his sin. Before he even gets into the request, before he starts saying, here's, what, here's the need that plagues my heart. This is why I'm wearing the sackcloth. This is why I'm getting into everything. This is why I've been fasting. Before he even seeks the Lord with like some sort of what we'd call a supplication or a request, he begins with confession. He begins by acknowledging who God rightly is. Let's talk about each of those. First of all, Daniel fixes his attention on God. In verse 4, he says, God, he says, you are the great and awesome God. He describes some of his attributes. He's the one who keeps his covenant and his steadfast love. Uh, and again, with those who love him and keep his commandments. Just those 
few statements acknowledge who God is. And for us, immediately, we are challenged. We are reminded. We are, in my case, convicted even. What is the nature of my prayers? Well, I've sent a good, I, I got my whole list here. Well, let's pause before we dive into the list. Who are we talking to? Well, let's talk and let's acknowledge who God is. If you want to have a powerful prayer life, let's begin with God, not ourselves. Remember, prayer is not some form of spiritual therapy. Prayer is an act of humility. You cannot solve the problems. You cannot fix the trial at hand. You can only depend on God. Prayer reminds us of complete reliance on God, utter helplessness in the hands of creator God. So who is God? Who is the God you're praying to before you're just like, hey, God, here's what's going on. No, no, no. Pause there and start to acknowledge who God is. Sometimes I'll use the names of God that we see. Jehovah Jireh, right? Jehovah Sidkenu, whatever it may be in Hebrew, or just, just go to English, right? Like if you're like, what? Um, Lord, you are righteousness. Lord, you are the provider. God, we know that you are present. You are our shepherd. Whatever it might be, titles and names and descriptions of God and start to declare those. Declare the attributes of God. Remind your heart of who he is. If you have others around you, but particularly even children, you know, teaching them to pray, part of that instruction and that modeling that you have as a parent or a role model or a relative, well, let's begin with who God is. You don't have to be impressive, right? The whole goal here is not to um, show off. Please don't show off because that's stupid. It's just so selfish. Your goal is to seek the Lord and to declare genuinely who he is. Even in those moments where, you're, where, you, where you might say, I, I'm not feeling that this is your attribute, but your word tells me it is. So, so you are a forgiving God. I don't feel that forgiveness necessarily because I, I made some serious missteps this weekend. But I do know you are, and so let me start to walk through this. Whatever, whatever it may be. So we acknowledge God, but what else? Well, after acknowledging God, Daniel moves immediately to confessing his sin. Again, not just requests and need. It's a great reminder for us. Don't just say, God, you are awesome. Now here's what I need, right? Because then you're like, then you're like a kid writing your list, your Christmas list to Santa. Instead, like Daniel, let us confess our sin. Daniel, he does not blame shift and he doesn't dismiss. He doesn't justify his sinful actions. He just says, we have sinned. We have rebelled. And he includes himself in this, especially near the end of Daniel. We'll see it in a moment. But it mentions how he had confessed his sin and the sin of his people. So he wasn't just talking about everybody else. He was totally aware of his own sin in that. Now, when it comes to blame shifting others, I think that's the easiest way to confess sin, right? You can wake up and you can say, Lord, forgive my wife because she's got problems. Or, Lord, can forgive my kids. They are little heathens. Like, okay, well, what was your contribution to that whole scenario and that situation? Let us personalize our sin. Like Daniel, we must ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the ways that we have sinned. Let's remember this. When it comes to confessing sin, the enemy, like, like Satan himself, or society, or our own minds, will shame us with these broad strokes. Well, I'm just a bad person. I'm a bad Christian, uh, father, 
a mother, whatever it might be. And like you might find yourself just feeling this broad shame, but the Holy Spirit functions differently. He's like a surgeon. There's precision in that. And he will address and pinpoint specific sin. It could be a comment that you made. It could be a temptation that you acted upon. It might even be this deep um, burden that he gives you like Daniel. And then we also see with Job in which you are as kind of a, a leader within your sphere of influence confessing this. And so if you look at Job, he, he confesses on behalf of his own family and the sin of his children. And there's this powerful plea for mercy on behalf of others' sin and their own defiance as well. And so there's acknowledging of God and then there is confession of sin. And let's continue with his prayer. He still has more to say along those lines. And then we'll look at what his request is. So verse 11, he continues with this stuff. And again, if there's a word or a phrase that stands out, definitely note it. If you have a Bible, underline it. This is where we want to learn how to pray from others. Verse 11 says, All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and, and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Daniel in this prayer, this is kind of the end of this portion of his prayer in which there's this confession and this acknowledgement of God. Daniel in this prayer keeps referencing back to how they have violated their commitment to the Lord. God had this covenant to them. And God has been consistently faithful in his covenant. But there is a dynamic in which they received the punishment due to their actions. And we're talking over the course of hundreds of years as a people where God, and you have to tie it back to the beginning here, but God raised up Abraham and established a nation. And then after even sending them to Egypt, and they, they prospered greatly as far as their size as a people, God draws them out of Egypt, out of that ruthless dictatorship there. And Moses leads them out through the Red Sea, right? That famous story. And then he establishes a nation. And the first generation sees amazing works of God. The second generation continues to see certain things and certain ways they acknowledge God. But then they begin to get all wayward. They begin to run. They begin to establish new gods for themselves, not the pure devotion and worship to Yahweh. Generations later, you have somebody like David. He rises up, King David, and he not only takes care of business in that area of the world, but also the people worship the Lord. And then they establish this temple of Solomon and things you, you think, man, it's the, it's the best time it's ever been. And all it takes is a couple generations and they start to wander away. And so the Lord has established this whole nation and these people and has demonstrated his guiding hand in the whole process and his, the depth of his love. And they just ran the opposite direction. 
So they received this punishment, right? It's not like out of thin air. And in this moment, Daniel is talking to us. He's acknowledging this. They have walked away from God, and therefore they have received harsh discipline from the exiles. Babylon came in, Assyria came in, and they took these guys, and they, a bunch, I mean, just everyone's, the whole, the whole nation was conquered. Well, with Daniel's open acknowledgement to God and his confession of sin in this, we are reminded that this is not just some sort of quick confession. So again, when it comes to modeling prayer, this example of prayer, you might find yourself saying, all right, Lord, I messed up. All right, now let me, now I got to talk to you about some stuff going on. And again, let's pause. Who is God? What have, um, what, what have we done that the Holy Spirit is pinpointing and saying, you need to confess that to your father to be reconciled with him. His love hasn't left you. His presence hasn't left you. He hasn't shamed you and kicked you out of the, the royal eternal family, but you are not right with your God. And so we bring that to him. There's this intentional confession. Again, like us, we might just want to rush on to the next thing, but we're reminded with this lengthy description, what is it? And it might be something that the Spirit's prompting in your own life. It might be something that has occurred within your family, uh, something within your nation or your community. Now let's move on to verse 16. What is it that is on Daniel's heart? What is pressing there? What is the burden? Well, verse 16, he says this, O Lord, according to you, all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city of Jerusalem your holy hill, because of our sins for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and all your people. They have become a byword among all who, who are around us. Now, therefore, O oh, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to the pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O oh Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. If you have a Bible, underline that last statement here. Daniel and us and all of humanity, we come before God, not on our terms of earning favor with God, but on the terms of his mercy. And we must have the same mindset in our salvation as well. This little tie, this statement reminds us of our own salvation, reminds us of the communion elements that we just took a moment ago. We don't present our goodness to God, but we recognize we are only saved by Jesus Christ's atoning act on the cross. His blood was poured out. His body was broken for our sin. We cannot alone atone for our sin. We cannot in any way atone for our sin, no matter how many lives you live and how good you might be. So in this moment, Daniel, he requests this long, it's all this buildup is this request that the exile be finished, that the stain of Israel would be no more and that God would once again glorify his name among his people, that he would turn away his wrath and that he would send his people back and begin to rebuild his city and his temple. It's pretty straightforward. If you have a Bible, you should look at it like I do, how much there was as a foundation leading up to that supplication. A lot of acknowledging who God is. A lot of personal and uh, national confession to God. And then the request. If you're like me, I tend to get it the opposite. A little bit of attributes of God. 
little bit of confession, but then I got a whole list of things to talk through. And again, we have this as a, an example for us, a model for us of somebody who's devoted to God, wonderful prayer warrior. How did they pray? Well, they, this, is, this is his method here. And then verse 19, this is the end of his prayer. And I love the confidence, like a biblical humility, but just like confidence in who God is and what God says in his word. He says, oh Lord, hear this. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. That is his final statement there. God, we need you to act. We need you to be true to your promises. One of the best kinds of prayers you can pray is one that repeats God's word back to him. Find his promises, find statements of truth and say, this is what you say in your word, so I'm gonna pray this. I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna come before you, please move in this way. You declared this in your word. This has been preserved. This has been prayed by the, by the saints of the ages and I'm praying it again in 2022. Those who wrote the prayers initially even, if it's in scripture, it's promises or statements about God because they saw it in those moments with their own eyes, like Abraham where he saw God's provision with the ram in the thicket and he declares, Yahweh is a provider. Okay, well, Abraham saw that and we can in those same moments declare these things back to God. And so what are certain examples of, of, of promises? Well, we have, uh, I want to read for you five. They're, they're straightforward, but there are thousands. I just wanted to pinpoint a few so you knew this wasn't super abstract or this isn't just for those who are like super Christians. Everybody can pray these things. So listen to some of these statements here. We have the promises in scripture that God will strengthen and help us. Isaiah 41.10 says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. And I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Awesome. Another verse, Hebrews 13, 5, reminds us that God is always with us. That God cannot fail us and God will not abandon us. So Hebrews 13, 5 says, For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. If you're in a situation in which you're feeling alone, and we all do at different moments, or you're feeling like you are left uh, hung out to dry, Say, Father, I'm reading Hebrews 13, 5, back to you. You say you will not leave. You will not abandon me. You will not fail. And so I'm clinging to this right now. Display that attribute in this moment, whatever it might be. Another promise you could cry out is, is saying, God, you are a kind and a compassionate God. I know this from verses like Isaiah 54, 10. And then you would read something like this. So it says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love, and even you say, my unfailing love and kindness for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Another statement you could think through, or another promise is that God gives us power. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the Spirit of God gave, that, that God gave us, it does not make us timid, but it gives us power and love and self-discipline. If you're struggling to feel the strength of God that you might need, or the boldness, or the love, or the grace, or the self-discipline, or whatever it might be, anything kind of tied to those different statements, reread this. God, I cannot on my own do this. But 2 Timothy 1.7 reminds us, Spirit of God's with me. I don't have a mind of fear or timidity. I'm going to walk in this. 
The last one here, we can pray that the promise that God wants to deepen us in our faith, right? We get saved, but he doesn't want to leave us there in our certain uh, moments. He wants to help us grow in our faith. Pray that. Pray that for yourself. Pray that for your, uh, for your spouse. Pray that for the ones you love. Pray that for the, your kids, grandkids, whatever it might be, that God would deepen their faith. Ephesians 3.17 puts it this way. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. That verse has particular significance to me at this moment. You know, whatever it is, there are thousands of promises or verses that describe these different promises of God. My challenge for you is to cry these back to God. Now, as we wrap up the message here in in Daniel chapter 9, I want to read the next part of the story because it describes what happens next, but we're not going to finish it all. Uh, we'll, We'll leave the rest for next week. Daniel 9 says this in verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, this is an angel, friends, whom I had seen in the vision at first, he came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for a... But for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. After that, he goes on to describe a vision that we'll look at next week. In this moment, we get this small glimpse into the spiritual realm. Have you ever wondered if your prayers are heard? I mean, you pray, like, where do they go? You know, like, I don't know, it's floating around or something. Well, we are reminded here, we have an actual description in God's word. It's not, we're not making it up along the way. This statement of your prayer, it goes out. And then depending on how God deems it best, we see this in this moment or other moments in scripture, he will respond. In this particular moment, he literally responds with an angel, the angel Gabriel, to give a message here. So we look at Daniel's life. We look at his prayer here. It models a vibrant prayer life. And if there was one way that his example encourages you to strengthen your prayer life, what is that? Was it his posture and his intentionality? Is it his discipline and his schedule? If we tie that back to Daniel 6. Is it his abundance of acknowledging who God is and confessing his sin before jumping into a request? Is it his final words there where he says, hear this, forgive, do not delay, please act. Right? He really calls on God to be God. Or lastly, is it his understanding of God's promises? Whatever way Daniel's prayer life challenges you this morning, I encourage you to write it down. You write it down now, write it down when you get home, whatever it might look like. Write it down and begin to commit yourself this week to strengthen your prayer life in that specific way. If you want to grow in your prayer life, join a group. We have several groups specifically focused on prayer. I'm in one on Tuesday, at, uh, Tuesday mornings at 1130 at the office. If you're available, join us. We pray for the needs, pray for the needs in the prayer basket over there and other ones that we get by, by email. You can grow in your prayer along with brothers and sisters in the faith. And so this is what we have in Daniel 9. It's incredibly straightforward, and I love it. It is way different than last week, looking at a ram and a goat and the prophecy there. And it's also substantially different than next week. And so I want to encourage you also to join us next week as we look at this. Next week, we look at the end of this chapter. Daniel's given this description by Gabriel of what this, like, like from, the, from the prayer, Gabriel gives him this 
timeline and the schedule, not only of kind of like, um, well, I'll just say most people tie that into a lot of the events we see in Revelation. And so we're going to look at this, potentially even tying into uh, when is the tribulation predicted and what does this mean? How long does it last? Some of that outcome and that uh, awareness comes from what we see here in the end of Daniel chapter 9. And so I hope you'll join us for that or watch online if you uh, if you're available, because we will look into the apocalyptic events. But before, you know, kind of between last week and the next week, we have this pause and we have the challenge to strengthen our own private prayer life. And also, I will tie it into our prayer life as a church family as well. All right, so Maddie, how about you come on up here, you and the team? And we will, we will conclude with uh, some worship. And uh, I'm going to pray for us as we do that. So let's go to the Lord right now. Heavenly